You have found 2.1, a Netrunner Reboot Project podcast. This is episode one. Are you listening? Hey, this is Remy. That is the flavor text from Kate's identity card. Are you listening? Maybe you recognize it. In this first episode of 2.1, we will have seven segments. Anonymous Tip, Sure Gamble, The Toolbox, Lemuria Codecracker, Matrix Analyzer, Research Station, and AstroScript Pilot Program. Anonymous tip. Uh, We're focusing here in the early part of the episode on information for newer players or players just returning to the game, and we'll save the more in-depth stuff for later on. This episode's tip is very simple. Draw early in the turn. Sometimes when you're playing a game of Netrunner, and this applies to either the corp or the runner, You sort of take a look at the cards in your hand. You're like, well, which one of these do I want to play? Well, I want to play this operation that costs three credits. Maybe you have three credits, so you play it. That's fine. I mean, it's fine. Or maybe you're like, well, I want to play play this program out as the runner. But it's, it's too expensive. I don't have enough money for it. So let me click for a credit or two first, and then I'll play the program. That's fine. But what's better is if you're going to draw at any point in the turn, like if you haven't looked at your turn, you're like, well, my turn is going to be play this card, install this card, make a run, make a run. That's your planned turn. That's fine. Then take that turn. But if you're thinking, well, at some point, I'm probably going to want to draw a card. Do that first. Why? Well, it can completely change how your turn plays out. Now, for example, let's say that this is a very basic example. Uh, You intend to draw a card as the corp, and you have in your hand uh, Beanstalk Royalties, which gives you three credits. But you know I'm going to draw for my second or third click, so I'm going to draw first, and look, now I have Sure Gamble. Well, now you have even more money than you would have had otherwise. And, of course, this can depend, play, play a factor if you're wanting to put an ice out or you wanting to do something with an agenda or an asset. Or as the runner in that situation, I want to install a program, but I don't have enough money. And maybe that's all you're thinking. I want to get this program down this turn. Well, draw first. Maybe you'll draw into your money and then you can get that money and you're not clicking for a credit. You want to avoid clicking for a credit if you can. Uh, that's, a, that's a free anonymous tip there. Still, give yourself options. You may end up playing out your turn exactly the same way you originally intended to, and that's fine. But by drawing a card, when you're intending to draw anyway, you give yourself the most options you can, and many times you can accelerate your game plan.
Our next segment is Sure Gamble. This is examples of cards that just, they work well in your deck. They're just good cards. They're a Sure Gamble. And for Sure Gamble in episode one, we're going to focus on Sure Gamble and Hedge Fund. They're basically the same card. Both of them are five cost cards that you play. It's an event for the runner, an operation for the corp. And after you pay five, you play the card, and you get nine credits. Effectively, that's a gain of four credits for one click. Once a new player kind of wraps their mind around like, wait, I'm paying five, but I'm getting nine. That always seems to be like a little bit of a hiccup for people. Once they wrap their mind around it, oh, they're going to play that card all day long. Because your basic action, of course, is to click for one credit. Where here you play a card, and you're clicking for four. I mean, technically it's only three, because you could have clicked for one, and you're getting four instead, so the net gain is three. But still, it's three credits that are basically free. Sure Gamble is a card that should be in your runner deck, unless you have a very specific reason for it not to be there. Hedge Fund is a card that should be in your corp deck, Again, unless you have a very specific reason for it not being there. And honestly, you probably don't have a very specific reason for it. Even all the way up until the final Worlds Tournament in 2018, the winning decks always run three Sure Gamble, three Hedge Fund. Those cards are a Sure Gamble. The Toolbox is a segment that focuses on deck construction. And to begin with, when we're looking at the core set, we are focusing on the decks that come in the core set, the pre-constructed core decks. Now, the way you make them is you simply take all of the cards from one faction and then take all of the neutral cards from that side, put them together, shuffle them up, you have a functioning deck. In the case of, and each one's going to be about 47, 48 cards, something like that. So it's very basic. And the reason it works the way it does is related to something that people complained about a lot when the game was originally released, what's called a lumpy distribution. So in the core set, there are uh, many cards that there are three copies of each. And that's the most you can have in a deck, is three copies of one card. But some cards only have two copies, and a few only have one. And so they go into your deck, and then that's all you have, is, you know, sometimes you'll have just one. Like, for example, the Criminal Console Desperado. There's just one in the core set. Now, you can buy additional core sets, and then you can have a full set of three. And for Desperado, well, you know, that's something you kind of want. But that's an advantage of playing online is you have access to the effect, the essentially to, to three core sets. But the reason this is an effective way to distribute things, I mean, aside from making a little extra money for people who are really invested in the game, is that having this distribution allows for more variety, more cards. See, like if they have a certain hard limit on the number of cards they could include in the core set, it's like 250 total cards. 
by having only two of some, only one of some, that let them have more variety and let, let you have, really, honestly, in the end, probably a more powerful deck than you would have if they were all three ofs. So as you are taking your initial forays into deck construction, uh, here is one tip to keep in mind. A runner deck, ideally, unless you have a good reason for it, should be 45 cards. That's the minimum print, printed on the identity, well, you know, or whatever the minimum is, which all the core set card decks are a minimum of 45. And that's what you should do with a runner, because the fewer cards you have in your deck, the more consistent it is. I referred in episode zero to the game Marvel Snap. There are only 12 cards in that deck, and you're going to draw through nine of them in a game. Those decks are real consistent. So by the same token, the smaller you can make your deck, the more consistent it's going to be. However, as a corp, you actually want to have 49 cards in your deck. Typically, you want to have the upper end of the particular uh, segment of cards. The way corporation decks function is for every five cards you add to a deck, you have to add an extra couple agenda points. So a 45-card deck needs a certain number of points, but a 50-card deck needs more. So a 49-card deck needs just as many agenda points as a 45-card deck. Yes, with a 49-card deck, you are going to be less consistent because you have more cards, but that's outweighed by the benefit of being of, have, of burying your agenda cards, which is the ones the runners are looking for, uh, making them less common in the deck. Now, is it a dramatic difference? Not really. I mean, the difference, like say you have, a, let's say you have 10 agenda cards. The difference between having a 49-card deck means there's a, an agenda card every 4.9 cards. And if it's a 45-card deck, it's every 4.5 cards. That's not a huge difference, but it is a difference. And sometimes those extra couple cards can be the difference between winning and losing. So as you start to deck build, one of the first things to do is to take the built-in runner deck and bring it down to 45 and take the built-in corp deck, the pre-constructed deck, and bring it up to 49. Now for myself, I didn't start deck building until I'd, been, I'd played probably a dozen games. I wanted to play every faction. I wanted to play the basic one first, a couple times, a few times, before I made any changes. So there's no rush. That is your toolbox segment for this episode. This segment is archived memories as we look back to old posts or articles about the game. And it ties directly in with what I was just saying about the 49-card corp deck. This is a post from BoardGameGeek. Uh, BoardGameGeek was really the center of the Netrunner uh, ecosystem, community, for at least the first year, maybe two. The title of this article is Larger Decks for Court Players, and it was posted August 13th of 2012, which means after the rules for the game had been posted, but before it had been released, even before the opening tournament, at, uh, the Icebreaker Tournament at Gen Con. 
The poster was Edwin Twentier, and here's what he said. Quote, Efficiency dictates that a smaller deck is a more streamlined deck. But doesn't it also stand to reason that a larger deck for a court player might also affect what the runner can access from R&D? Could it not be better to dilute a corp deck, say, 20 agenda points in 49 cards, rather than 20 in 45 cards? And so this is the first evidence, uh, unquote, by the way, unquote. So this is the first evidence that I've come across, at least in the Board Game Geek forums, that uh, argues for 49 cards. There is a little pushback uh, in the thread, uh, again, suggesting that uh, efficiency and, and being able to find your cards was more important. But time would show that, as I've already said, the 49 card is the standard. And uh, that's just that was a little shift from the old Netrunner, uh, Fantasy Flight, when they reimagined the rules. Uh, they shifted a little bit the way the agenda uh, density was figured. And so this was a new concept that was only applicable to Android Netrunner, not to the original CCG. Data Sucker. This segment is going to just kind of take a look at some of the interesting ways the game is put together. And to keep it basic, fairly basic at the beginning, I'm just going to pull these comments straight out of the rule book. This is page 28 in the original core set rules. And it's about runner factions. And just kind of knowing this, there's a little bit of flavor here, but there's also, and you might see some reference to uh, for longtime players to upcoming cards. But there's also uh, a little bit that gets into what each runner faction has as its, well, the term for Magic the Gathering is color pie. Like different colors in Magic the Gathering are strong at different things. And that's also true in Netrunner, although uh, there are fewer colors on each side. So for the three runner factions, here's what the rule book has to say. Anarchs have strong contempt for the corporate oligarchs, the whole corrupt system and often for society in general. Whatever the exact target of their rage, their unifying characteristic is their anger. At their worst, Anarchs just want to watch the world burn. At their best, Anarchs are tireless champions for the downtrodden and oppressed. All right, so there's your flavor. And here's the mechanics, the mechanism-related stuff. They're very good at breaking things spreading viruses, and trashing corporation assets and programs. And that breaking things, I think, refers to the fact that the type of icebreaker that Anarch tends to be good with is the fractor, the one that breaks through barriers. Going back to the rulebook, criminals are in it for themselves. All runners are technically criminals, at least if you ask the corpse, but these runners embrace it. They make self-interest an art form and don't care who gets hurt so long as they get ahead. Many criminals engage in more traditional forms of crime as well, stealing data and money with equal gusto. There's your flavor. Here's some on the mechanisms of the faction. 
criminals are good at covering their tracks and employing a variety of dirty tricks to attack from an unexpected angle. I mean, that just seems like it's describing sneak door beta in the corset or dirty tricks. Account siphon is another one. Back to the rule book. Shapers seem like idealistic naifs. They're not motivated by rage against the corporate injustice that is a daily fact of life for the underclass. They're not in it for the money. Many never understand why shapers do what they do, but it's not actually very complicated. Shapers are motivated by curiosity and a certain amount of pride. A shaper may orchestrate a data raid as underhanded and destructive as the most frothing anarch, but his goals are different. The shaper just wants to see if he can do it. And then here's the mechanism part. Shapers are also tinkerers and builders, and they push their hardware and software beyond their limits. And so here's where you see in the corset examples of, well, tinkering is one of the cards, of course. A shaper is one that's most likely to build a big rig, to have a, like a, a big, powerful set of hardware and software, and then ways to boost the power of those sort of naturally. Give us an idea of like which direction each corporation kind of goes, and, and having that in mind can help when it comes to your approach to you know, which faction you're going to invest in, uh, who you're going to play, and how you're going to play. That's this time's Data Sucker. This episode of 2.1 is brought to you by Haas Bioroid. Haas Bioroid. Effective. Reliable. Humane. And not nearly as creepy as those Jinteki clones. Am I right? Lemuria Codecracker. It's a card that exposes things. And so here is the segment that we're going to use to expose what has been changed in the Netrunner reboot project. Uh, we're focusing to begin with on just the core set. Core set contains 113 different cards, 52 of them for Runner, 61 for Corp. And of these, 60 have received a change of some kind. That's 23 Runner cards. 37 corp cards. That's a little more than half. Most of the changes are simply a change to a number. And one of the questions in the FAQ on the Reboot Project spreadsheet asks, why are you only changing numbers when you buff cards? And here's the response. That aspect of the project is an effort to save cards that from a design perspective could be fun and useful, but because of bad balance in development, or the ignorance that comes with a new game, ended up being worse than they needed to be. We do not want to be in the business of essentially designing new cards to replace old ones. You may see many examples of cards where the cost has been lowered to zero, but the card still seems unplayable. In these cases, we are throwing a bone to anyone who wants to mess around with the card, not acting like our change is making it good. Unquote. And it's even true about this talking about buffing cards, making them better. 
is even true about the cards that are made a little bit worse, the nerfs. They're largely just a number change. And there's only a handful that have an ability change of some kind where the wording has been changed. In fact, in the core set, there's only one like that. It's a corp card. But we're not covering the corp here. We're just covering the runner. So again, there are 23 runner changes. Seven of them are nerfs and 16 are buffs. They're pretty evenly distributed across the factions. Eight Anarch, eight Criminal, six Shaper, one is neutral. So I'm going to run through the cards, what the changes are, and I'm also going to tack on a brief description of what each card does, just because if you're like me, even though you know the cards and you recognize the cards, maybe you don't always remember the specifics of what they do. So for the nerfs, for Anarch, Noise, the identity, who trashes cards from R&D, his influence has been dropped from 15 to 10. Parasite, which can place virus tokens to weaken ice, has its install cost increased from 2 to 3. Yog.0, which is a fixed-strength decoder, has its install cost increased from 5 to 6. In Criminal, Account Siphon has its play cost increased from 0 to 2. Account Siphon drains credits from the corp, but then ends up giving you tags. And Desperado, the console that gives you a credit for a successful run, has its memory units reduced from 1 to 0. In Shaper, Kate, the identity, which lets you install your first program or piece of hardware for a credit less, has had her link reduced from 1 to 0. And Aesop's Pawn Shop, which lets you trash one of your own cards for 3 credits, has its install cost increased from 1 to 2. So you can see none of those are dramatic. I mean, the influence for noise is pretty big. But most of the rest of them, you're just changing one number. And it's similar with the buffs, but going the other direction. We have five for Anarch. Demolition Run. Its play cost dropped from two to zero. Let's you trash cards you access. Cyber Feeder. Hardware that lets you pay for using programs had its install cost dropped from two to one. Jin, which can host programs and tutor virus cards, search for virus cards, had its install cost dropped also from 2 to 1. Worm, an AI icebreaker, has its base strength increased from 1 to 2. And Wildside, a resource for extra card draw, had its install cost reduced from 3 to 2. In Criminal, the identity, Gabe, which lets you gain two credits when you run HQ the first time each turn, has a couple extra influence, from 15 to 17. Forged activation orders, an event to force the corp to res ice, its play cost is reduced from 1 to 0. The namesake of this segment, Lemuria Codecracker, which exposes a corp card, has that ability reduced in cost from 1 to 0. Aurora, the criminal fractor, will break two subroutines instead of one. Ninja, the killer, will boost the, to cost, the cost to boost the card has been reduced from three to two. And Crash Space, the resource that lets you remove tags more easily, has had its install cost reduced from two to one. In Shaper, there are just four cards adjusted. The Personal Touch, 
which will boost icebreaker strength, costs one to install instead of two. The toolbox, which gives you a bunch of stuff, extra memory, extra link, recurring credits for using icebreakers, has been reduced in cost from nine to seven. Battering RAM, the Shaper Fractor, has had its install cost reduced from five to three. And Pipeline, the killer, has had its strength gain increased from one to two. And the only neutral card on the adjustment list is Armitage Codebusting, which instead of gaining 12 credits, placing 12 credits on it to gain more quickly, it's 16. Those are the changes for the runner side in the core set. Following right on the heels of Lemuria Codecracker is the Matrix Analyzer segment, where we're going to take a look at these changes, why and what. And I'll drop in some of my comments because I asked the big boy, Abram, whether he would give me some clues, and he's like, I'll just listen to you speculate. Thanks. Uh, as I said in episode zero, enthusiastic amateur. So uh, I may be way off base on my ideas here. And if you want to correct me, please do. You can correct me on Discord, or you can message me on BoardGameGeek, or you can send me an email if you want. Uh, my username is Auberman, A-W-E-B-E-R-M-A-N. So there are five icebreakers that have been improved. Battering Ram and Aurora, the non-Anarch Fractors, and Pipeline, um, Shaper's Killer, along with Worm and Ninja, have all been made better. And I think the logic there is just that they were dramatically worse. I mean, Corroder is real good as the Anarch Fractor, uh, best Fractor in the game for a long time. So by making the Shaper and Criminal versions so much worse, uh, you almost forced them to use Corroder. So here they, they've been made a little more appealing to stay in faction. So here's just an example of developers not wanting to make the cards too strong, not wanting to step on the toes of the other faction's strengths too much which is admirable and leads to the game not being busted, I suppose. Toolbox, I, I always loved Toolbox. It's fun. But it was real expensive at nine credits. So dropping it to seven, that's a big drop, right? You see that a lot of the changes are just one increase of one, in one or decrease of one in one direction or another. And here is a change of two. Uh, so I haven't played with it yet, but that's a better feel anyway. Still a lot of money. I noticed one thing that didn't change it didn't change like I thought it would. It was Desperado. Desperado is a really good console. I mean, it's an extra credit every time you successfully run. And for, for years, in the early days of Netrunner, I, mean, I don't remember how it was like at the end, but I feel like Desperado was just the card you ran. You run three of it. No other criminal console could even come close. So I would have guessed that it would have been increased in cost to like four or five even. But reducing the memory units instead, 
I can only assume that that just makes it harder to for the criminal to install something like all three breakers and a sneak door beta, maybe? Something like that. Or for the criminal also to have virus, a bunch of viruses installed? To me, that doesn't seem like enough of a, of a change. But, I mean, I, I am not at all suggesting that it's wrong. It's the wrong move. I just don't completely understand it. And as for noise, having his influence reduced so dramatically, the most logical thing that comes to mind is account siphon, which is uh, four influence. Noise can't run three of them anymore. But when I posed the question to the community on Discord, here's the response I got on why the changes were made for the identities. Gamanet said, quote, noise with clone chips get NPE really quick. So NPE is a negative player experience. Clone chip is a card that comes up later in uh, creation and control. So this is sort of adjusting him early so that that card that comes later doesn't make him so busted. And the comment from the big boy, Abram, is noise is to rule out clone chip, which is super overpowered in him. Gabe buff is more for the later card pool where he is a little weak. Now, somebody else suggested that Andromeda, who's an identity that comes up shortly, is just better. So this helps him out versus someone like Andromeda. And the Kate nerf is because the link makes her face-checking too strong. Uh, So that's an interesting thing that I wouldn't have considered. Face-checking is just the idea, of course, of running into ice when you don't know what it is. And of the sentries in the core set, there are eight of them, ice that are sentries, five of them have traces. So by removing that free credit to dodge traces, and sometimes the trace is only one, yeah, that makes her a little bit weaker, but not a lot. There is my matrix analyzer for episode one. Closing out most episodes is going to be the research station, where we look take a look at some, some resources that are available for the community. This is not in-game stuff, but out-of-game stuff. And really, the only way to play this game, if you don't have the cards, is to play it online. Where do you do that? Retechie. The website is retechie.fun. That's spelled R-E-T-E-K-I. Dot F-U-N. And it is simply just like gintechie.net, which existed for many years, but it has been adjusted so that you can play with the Reboot Project cards. And it has been, there's even some extra bonuses in there like the old Octagon sound effects and some full art for supporting the site. Not that it's required, but it's an option. So retechie.fun. Play some games of Netrunner. The AstroScript pilot program for this episode will be what the runner book, the runner book, the rule book has to say about Kate and about Haas Bioroid. So if you want to stick around after the close for that, you can feel welcome to do so. You can contact me by sending me an email to auberman, A-W-E-B-E-R-M-A-N at yahoo.com. That is also my username on Discord. 
in both the Green Level Clearance and Reboot Project servers, and on Board Game Geek. Music for 2.1 is provided by Alexi Action. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Haas Bioroid. Effective. Reliable. Humane. With headquarters in New Angeles and major branch offices in Chicago, Cologne, Heinlein, Johannesburg, and Sydney, Haas Bioroid is the world leader in cybernetics and artificial intelligence. The most iconic and recognizable products made by Haas Bioroid are the Bioroids themselves, androids built with cybernetic technology and with artificially intelligent minds designed around sophisticated imaging of human brains. Bioroids are a new technology, but have already changed humanity forever. As android labor becomes cheaper and more widely available, ordinary humans, mostly in the lower class, find themselves unemployed and replaced by a bioroid or clone. Although bioroids are less controversial than the human-like clones, they attract a good deal of vitriol, hatred, and even violence. The labor solutions market is controlled by Haas Bioroid and their chief competitor, Jinteki. Both corporations have become enormously wealthy through their joint monopoly. Haas Bioroid holds the patent on bioroids and most of the necessary technology for developing a proper artificial intelligence. They aggressively protect their patents and their market position through any legal means available. And, if certain alarmist watchdog organizations and fringe elements are to be believed, any illegal means available as well. In addition to the creation of artificially intelligent bioroids, Haas Bioroid has been experimenting with specialized bioroids dedicated to network security and other tasks that are traditionally the role of software agents, so-called weak AI. Bioroids tasked for purely network usage have a proven ability to interact with the brains of users employing a neural interface with occasionally lethal results. There are also some indications that these bioroids are less well-adjusted than others who possess a body and may interact with human beings in a more traditional manner. Haas Bioroid denies any allegations that their software-purposed bioroids are unstable or have ever been implicated in the brain damage of human users. Haas Bioroid prides itself on quality craftsmanship and superior design. In addition to bioroids, Haas Bioroid and its subsidiaries produce commercial-grade and medical, cybernetics, prosthetics, industrial robots and machinery, mind-machine interface devices, and consumer electronics. Kate Mac McCaffrey
digital tinker. I like to think of myself as an artist, she said. Said. Out loud. With her vocal cords. Unplugged. Perched on the edge of a stool so old it was made of wood. Her desk was a polywood flat laid over two sawhorses and strewn with humming, glowing electronic devices. One of these devices projected a vert display of a girl's plastic doll face fixed in a permanent plastic grin. The face spoke back from the small speaker at the base of the projector. An artist of pixels? Cubits? Bytes? Ideas, said Mac. She gestured an avert screen, a luminous panel showing bricks of raw code, floated up in front of her face. The bits and bytes and cubits aren't the data. It's just how it's written. Like a word isn't just a collection of letters. There's an idea behind it. So you use digital storage media as a means to express your ideas? Mac ignored the question. Her own anonymizer program was probably showing her as an old film or sensi star. She couldn't remember if she'd said it for Marilyn Monroe, Charlie Chaplin, or Miranda Rhapsody. The code was good. She rested her hand flat on an induction interface panel and let the device sync with the nano-wiring implanted under her skin. There's great potential in the network. Ways for us to communicate with each other. Maybe new ways to structure our society. I just want to reach out and see what it can do. And what are you doing tonight? Reaching out. She sent one final command and lifted her hand. Are you listening? I'm listening, said the doll. Mac turned on her stool, looking out the window at the New Angeles skyline. She grinned as her handiwork rode itself across the sky. Try looking out the window, Miss Lockwell. Why do you think I'm... Oh, my God! The mile-high Gila Heights Arcology, all its lights flickering according to Mac's design. They circled and streaked, bloomed and exploded in a pattern of light and dark. The cycle looped three times before someone at Gila Heights managed to return control and shut it down. Did you just flash that to all of New Angeles? Came the voice from the projector. Maybe, said Mac. It would be easy. As easy as tracing you back to your office at Broadcast Square. You cracked the NBN firewall? You can't do that. This is why people think you're reckless criminals. This is why... Mac killed the feed. Can't do that she mused. She gestured, and the vert displays clustered on her desk showed her a great big tower of data, the inaccessible NBN network, its spine running up the beanstalk, its ports guarded by the best ice money could buy. The diagram spun slowly in front of her. Mac grinned and cracked open a new can of diesel. I wonder she said, and called up a new window full of code.